actually, that is the work. You know, that's the substance of the work is asking these questions to get to a different outcome. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. A little chronology. At his swearing-in as the new chair of the Arlington County Board in January 2019, Christian Dorsey outlined his two priorities, deal with a budget gap and focus on equity. A month later, I had the pleasure of interviewing him on this program for a conversation about how curiosity might support equity. You can find the show on my website. In September of that year, the county passed an equity resolution that closed, I like to say, with curiosity and four critical assessment questions. Who benefits? Who is burdened? Who is missing? And how do we know? Nine months later, in July 2020, Samia Bird, who is a deputy county manager for three years after spending a decade as a principal planner in the Department of Community Planning, Housing, and Development for the county, was appointed Arlington's Chief Race and Equity Officer. In September, true to the board's resolution, Samia and her colleagues presented a progress report and action plan, including the launch of a series of dialogues on race and equity, for which Arlington Independent Media is proud to be a partner. When Samia made her presentation, she deepened the curiosity with a fifth question added to the resolutions for. She asked, what did we do? But I skipped a moment in the timeline that might explain why this edition seems so perfectly on point to me. May and June this year were tough months on the race and equity front. For weeks, we roiled as a nation and echoes of the turmoil and abuse meted out over centuries. When Juneteenth came around, Barack Obama's message that the date was a celebration of progress, an affirmation that Despite the most painful parts of our history, change is possible, and there is still so much work to do, captured what I think a lot of us were feeling. I stood under the shade of the trees lining the plaza outside the county offices and listened to the music and impressive Juneteenth speakers. I didn't catch the name of one of the last speakers, but her challenge really landed with me. What, she asked, will you do with your breath? In ways both literal and figurative, she had captured the enormity of the weeks, the year, and the fundamental question they posed for all of us. What would we do with our breath? What would I do with my breath? I got home and wrote to the organizers to ask the speaker's name and request that they convey my appreciation to her for giving me something to organize myself around. A note came back. It was Samia Bird. Samia wasn't yet in her new role, and perhaps others on the plaza knew what lay ahead for her, but I did not. I just knew I'd heard from someone who had already helped me move my mindset. So, I'm delighted to have Samia Bird with me today to keep moving our mindsets. Welcome, Samia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's really a pleasure. And you know, when we first connected for this conversation, you said something else that really resonated for me. You said the journey starts with us, that this work begins with personal reflection 
even though you're working on the systemic stuff, it's about an inward curiosity. So tell me more about that. Absolutely. So I really, truly believe that in order for us to be able to approach the work of addressing systemic racism, institutional racism, we have to understand who we are and what we believe and then how we come to any situation, any place, any space that we're in, how we interact with other people, what it is we do, because that's all based on a fundamental beliefs of who we are and, and our own perspectives and our experiences, lived, perceived, biased, and unconsciously biased. And so we really have to take that journey with ourselves while we're actually trying to do the work, because at the end of the day, it's the, the system is made up of people who come as individuals and those individuals together, the way that we move, the way we think, the way we act, that's what fuels and affects the system that we perpetuate or that we are part of, whether we built it or not. And so we have to know and come to terms with ourselves. And coming to terms with oneself is often the hardest work, right? You know, in some ways, I wonder if it's harder in a place where the popular idea of Arlington is that we're very evolved on these things. Mm -hmm. But that that sort of begs the question, right? And I'm wondering if it makes it harder in your observation for people to be inwardly curious and maybe honest with ourselves. You know, what, what I'm finding is that it's easy for people to think about the work that they do and the processes, the policies, the procedures, and be asked to consider, you know, whether or not there are inherent issues that are exacerbating or creating disparate outcomes based on race. Because, you know, our, our conscious mind or our mind would have us to, okay, just tell me what to do, give me the tools and I'll do it and I'll apply it to my work and then I can get to this outcome. But the really fundamental piece of all of this work is that you can't just jump straight to the tools unless you know why you're using them and understand the reason, the why behind the need for them and whether or not you play a role in that. It's always harder, I think, for us as individuals to hold mirrors up to ourselves. And, yeah. you know, what is our role in all of this beyond just, you know, someone telling you what to do? What do I fundamentally believe about it? And so that's why it's really important and hard to, I think, hold that mirror up when we're talking about really deeply pervasive issues that may challenge our fundamental beliefs about who we are, what we believe, what we've learned, what we've been taught about race, about racism, about fairness, about justice, to understand how that impacts who we are when we're doing our job. It's, I think it's so much harder. Well, it's exactly why I think of it as a curiosity enterprise, right? Because you have to come to it with this kind of open mindset. You have to come to it with questions, which is why I love the fact that the resolution closes with these with the four questions and that you added specifically the like what did we do so it's not just enough to noodle on it and contemplate the universe we really need to make change happen why do you think it's or do you think it's useful to have 
a specific list of questions like that to help you move the work forward? Well, one of the things that we know and that we have learned over some time with our work with the Government Alliance on Race and Equity and others in this broad space now of race and social justice and equity is that we have to approach the work with an equity mindset. And how do we do that is having an equity lens. So it's the filter through which we view everything in our work. And so we have to be able to ask these questions to understand what's the outcome, what's the impact, and how can we affect it? Actually, that is the work. You know, that's the substance of the work is asking these questions to get to a different outcome. And that's really the purpose of an, a racial equity lens or an equity lens more broadly is to constantly and consistently be able to ask who's benefiting from this, who's burdened by it, who's missing from this, how do we know they're missing so that we're actually doing the things we need to do to get to that outcome that we ultimately want to achieve. And the that fifth question I added, it's really interesting because you know, we're in the space now where people want to act. Our culture is we want to always be action-minded. We have to do something. We have to do something now. And so what made me think about that is that we're asking these questions, but then is anybody doing anything with the information that we get from these questions? What are we doing? I said, what did we do as kind of a look back? But I also say, what do we do? Because then that also keeps us in that curious space of saying, okay, we got all this information. We know who benefits. We know who's burdened. We know why. Um, we know who's missing. We know why. And we know that, okay, we have all of this. So what are we going to do about it? I love what you've said in terms of the goal here is that every employee, stakeholder, and leader becomes grounded in and committed to prioritizing racial equity period. Right now, we're sort of at this interesting inflection point where you've done the dialogues on race and equity. And I'm wondering what you heard from that, but also what you see coming out of that that moves us towards this place where everybody's committed to prioritizing racial equity, period. It's interesting because, you know, we did a report to the board on on the outcome of those conversations. And over a period of two two months, because we did them between October and December of this past year, we heard from quite a few people. We had a lot of conversations over 150, I believe, some odd people participated in conversations with the community, so other members of the community more broadly. We also had an assessment where we had over 2,800 people respond to that assessment with a number of questions about how they feel about race and racism as an individual, what their experiences have been in their community, what their experiences have been with the government. And then also we had partner training and conversations where focus was privilege and bias. And then how does that relate to race? And out of those conversations, out of the partnerships, out of the assessment, we heard from people about the Arlington Way and how there was a lack of transparency or a lack of diversity in our leadership in a lot of spaces. We heard from people about our school system and how there was 
also a lack of opportunity that was equitable for uh, to resources and program resources in particular, and to our gifted and talented programs and to our IB and AP programs. They were not diverse. We heard also about language as an intersection to race and the barriers there that people experience. And so it, it's been very interesting what we heard from people in those conversations. But what was really important to me from those conversations is that they were the start of our normalizing. So, you know, I've talked a lot about the, the key that you just pointed out. That's what we call normalizing. We've got to get to a place where we can normalize conversations on race because we don't really and never have really wanted to do that or to talk about it and be okay having conversations with each other about our differences and our different perspectives. And that sharing is really, really important. And one of the things that we hope will come from all of this is that we started these conversations, but that they won't end. Mm -hmm. So that we will be in a place with our partner organizations who span the gamut from nonprofits to businesses, to faith groups and organizations and churches, civic associations. We had over 50 partners who have signed up to commit to the work. And what that really means for us is that they were trained to have conversations. So they will continue to have conversations because what we want is for the normalizing to permeate throughout the entire community. And we can do that through our partners better than we could as just government alone. So it doesn't feel heavy handed like it's government telling people what they have to do but it's giving those tools and resources to our partners to be able to do the work in their organizations. And then also more broadly with the people that they are serving, that they're producing for, that they're interacting with in their respective role in their organizations. And so that gives us a much broader reach so that at the end of the day, everybody's using the same terms. Everybody has the same understanding, sharing of perspectives and knowledge that when we get to the place where we're starting to use that racial equity lens and that tool, we all have an equity mindset that is consistent. The other thing that I think is great about the partners is that now we have a group of people that we can convene on a regular basis to start talking about the issues. What are we hearing when we do these trainings? What are we learning from the people when we have these trainings? What are you learning in your organization and how are you applying it? How can we share amongst each other resources and information and support each other in the work? But more importantly, how can we convene ourselves as partners with the county on a regular basis throughout the year to talk about what are the one or two key issues that we want to address around race and equity in our community, in our organizations, and how can we do this together? Well, it's interesting, you know, here at AIM, we're one of those partners, very proud to be. And we were in a board meeting recently and trying to embed this in our discussions and our thinking and sort of poking at all the places that we thought this might show up. And as a, as a community media organization, we feel a particular responsibility, not only to be good at this, but to help other people amplify their voices and, you know, make sure that your efforts are, are amplified but I'll give an example of a place where it's shifting mindsets within the organization. We were talking about, well, you know, we have kind of a first come, first serve that feels like a fairness kind of policy. Well, not really. If there are always certain people who are first in line, 
What does that mean about others who aren't there? And what might we inadvertently be missing or undervaluing with what seemed like a fair policy? So, you know, kind of lifting up the rocks, <laughs> looking with a little curiosity. It's like, hmm, who's burdened? Who's missing? Who's helped by this? It's a great, it's really a very deceptively simple set of tools and mindsets that I think you're offering. So kudos to you on that. And I think too about, I love that you mentioned sort of the normalizing and I know there's kind of this progression, right? Normalize, organize, operationalize and assess. And it seems to me that the assessment on this, kind of bringing it back around to this curiosity question, assessment is a kind of curiosity practice, right? It's a way of looking back and going, did we actually accomplish what we set out to do? How will you assess your progress? When we did that assessment with the community and we got, that gave us a really good gauge of where people are and how they think now. I think one of the ways that we can continue to assess is to look to repeating assessments maybe every two years so we can understand how we're moving forward. It's the things that you just said about, you know, how you all at AIM are even starting to apply the racial equity lens, understanding how many organizations are now using that tool and what has been the result, what's the outcome. So being able to check in with our partners and understand, okay, what have the changes been that you've seen? How many people have gone through the training and now are able to use the terminology? How many conversations are we having? And what was the outcome of those conversations? I think those are some of the tools and some of the ways that we can measure our progress. You know, how have people organized around racial equity? How many organizations now have racial equity as a value in the work that they do or have embedded it in their work on a more consistent and regular basis and it's become a practice? And what has been the outcome of that? So we'll need to be able to have this regular place of checking in with people. This is within the workforce and outside of the workforce and the organization to gather this information to know, okay, well, who's doing what? How has it worked? And what's been the outcome? It makes me really excited and I think hopeful to hear that, you know, you all as an organization are starting to challenge to use the tools and to start to be able to be in a place where you want to help others to use the tool. I mean, that to me shows some level of progress in a way of assessing. You know, we want everybody to be talking about this. So if we can say, well, we had 50 something partners and they represent several thousand people that they have some relationship or connection to, and all 1,000 of them have been trained, and they all now know how to use and apply those four questions, the five questions, then that's progress because before we didn't have that. Yeah, very cool. Certainly there are challenges that have come with COVID, but I'm wondering if there are any opportunities that you have seen coming from COVID in advancing your work? You know, I think the opportunity really has been the amplification, the awareness, the education that people have received during this time to know and really understand that there are differences in people's 
life outcomes, their expect their, you know, the life expectancy, their treatment, when we talk about health care, their impacts to people based on race. You know, we knew that, but I don't think we had such a demonstration of that where certain terms and concepts that can seem so abstract or easy to evade or avoid or ignore when we talk about differences based on race and inequities, they were ever present and very prominent such that they can't be denied. And what's interesting is that if you listen to news and read articles, any media these days, you can learn and see and read that everyone is talking about the disparities and they are very clear about them being based on race. And so I think that that has been a real opportunity to make us more aware to start to want to do something different. It's unfortunate that we are all pretty much at home, homebound, but it's caused us to kind of sit down and do a little bit more of that self-reflection, if you will, or to take stock of our systems and what's in place and how it impacts people differently based on their race. And so I think that that has been an opportunity um, for us to maybe try to get it right and to, to focus on people who are disproportionately impacted, people of color. I mean, all of that has been daylighted and it's forced us to reprioritize, I think, in a way that maybe we would not have. We would have just kept going and it would have become more of an academic exercise and more intellectualized than we are now able to actually really sit with it and feel it in a different way. I worked in the mental health field for a long time and things would happen and I came to describe them as awful opportunities. I mean, they weren't things you would ever wish on individuals mm-hmm. or a community. And yet this the disruption and the questions that that allowed to be raised that might not be raised if things were just kind of bumping along in their usual way, had some, there were some advantages. Yeah. And that word that you use, disruption, Yeah, that's exactly what we have to do to systemic racism. You know, it's one of those things where we, it stops you in your tracks once you are aware and educated and you recognize, and then it's, how do we disrupt it? How do we just, you know, we've been disrupted. And so we need to disrupt this system. And, and then dismantle it. You know, those are, so that was just a great word. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of words, we're, we're almost out of time here, but I did want to do my big jar of wannabe analogies. Are you game for this? Yep. Okay. So I have this jar, literal jar. I have uh, slips and paper in here and um, we're each going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on our slip of paper. You have eyeglasses. How is curiosity like eyeglasses? And I have rocking chairs. You want to go or you want me to go? So I love that I got eyeglasses, especially given everything we're talking about. Curiosity and eyeglasses, the lens. It's being able to look through a different lens, look through a lens and see something differently. You know, we have, we're born, hopefully, most of us, if we're able to be um, fortunate 2020 vision. If not, you know, we are in a place where, you know, we we don't see um, things in a certain way because of our vision. And so we have to have glasses and those glasses help us to see things differently. And so I think the curiosity there is being curious to look through lens 
a lens to see something differently, to see a different perspective, to get a different vision, a different image than what you have in your mind or what you were are fixated on. And so I love that. It also can, you know, help us to visualize things um, more clearly. So be curious about being able to see things more clearly than we had before. They give us that that opportunity to do that. So I that's what I love that. I got I lo- my glasses. I love that. Boy, perfect. You know, it's so funny. These are genuinely random out of this jar, but sometimes, boy, I think the universe kind of is like, okay, I want to make a point here. <laughs> um, so let's see. I have rocking chair. Um a rocking chair. How is curiosity like a rocking chair? I think I think a rocking chair is a way of sort of putting yourself in motion, even if you're standing still. And I think curiosity is a way of sort of putting your mind into motion, even if it's sort of in in its customary place. It allows it to kind of move around a little, play around a little, chase, disrupt the rhythm, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And audience, yours is oatmeal. <laughs> How is curiosity like oatmeal? I don't know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. Well, Samia, thank you so much for this. And thank you for the work that you're doing. I just think it's really a pleasure to to be connected to it in the little way that I am. And I really want to be supportive in any way that I can. So thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you all for being a partner. Your description of the partnership and the work that you all are doing is exactly what we want to see. And so thank you so much. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great shows here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can find all my previous shows on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to Be Curious, or on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you follow me there and on Twitter at choose number two, letter B, curious. Don't forget to send us your oatmeal analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Samia Bird. Links to the Arlington County Resolution on Equity and Dialogues and other related resources on my website. Our theme music is by Sean Ballack, and this is Jog to the Water by Duck Lake via Blue Dot Sessions. I hope you'll join me again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. You know, we're on this journey together. It is going to take time. There's a lot of urgency, I think, in the community and with everything that's going on, there's this urgency. But just reminding people of the balance and the, the need to balance that urgency with thoughtfulness and patience and to just be curious about that equity lens and how we can start applying it. What we ultimately are aspiring to is transformation and we want to transform people, to transform systems, to transform institutions and then structures. It it all starts with us. I'm really excited about the journey that we're on together. Funding for Choose to be Curious is provided in part by Concentric Private Wealth, where changemakers develop clarity for today and confidence for tomorrow by centering on what matters most, which involves more than just money. More information at www. 
www.concentricpw.com. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter.